Hello, Marvelites, who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 572. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. We did it, Lorraine! We did it. You made it through New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. How's it feel? I'm only marginally sick, which is fine. Oh, good. I guess having a toddler means I am marginally sick all the time. So, like, mm-hmm. my baseline is now just, like, forever stuffed up and... Uh, and partially sick. So everything is good. I saw so many people at Comic-Con. It made me really happy. Saw so many of our listeners and fans of This Week in Marvel and Marvel's pull list. So that was super cool. And like seeing people I haven't seen in years. Mm-hmm. Coworkers. Coworkers who I have not seen in years in person. Coworkers I've never met before in person, which was neat. Just the joy that a convention can bring to so many people is great and also make them lose their dang minds having done giveaway hour and all that kind of stuff i brought Catherine up on sunday to the giveaway hour at the marvel booth she wanted to give everything to one little girl who was wearing a princess dress and i was like <laughs> Catherine, you can't give her everything you've already given her three things and it was oh, oh boy <laughs> it was fine it was great it was really super duper terrific That's the best. And I got to go to the This Week in Marvel panel that we'll talk about in a little bit, which was super fun. It was so great to see everybody. I got to see Jesse Lilly, who works in our IT department. And we were like, I haven't seen you in three years. And it was so nice. But we're not just here to talk about New York Comic Con, although we're going to talk about a whole (laughs) lot. Because, of course, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. Um, Which, of course is going to include talking a lot about all the news out of New York Comic Con this week, maybe even giving you a little insight into the panel that we did. But we're also having on some very special folks from Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Director Kat Coiro, and head writer Jessica Gao, who I'm very excited for. Speaking of Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Episode 9 is now available only on Disney+. Plus. It's the season finale. Holy moly. I just... It's wild. It is the ultimate. Okay. If you haven't seen it yet, (laughs) skip forward like 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever. But it is just the ultimate of fourth wall breaking in the best way possible. No spoilers. We'll leave it at that. But I got the biggest kick out of that. And there's so much. That episode is wild. I can't wait for everybody to fully have embraced it and watched it a couple of times and get up in that discourse about it. But of course, you could check out all the articles on Marvel.com about the episode, including, of course, Marvel must-haves, some behind-the-scenes stuff, some explainers, much, much more. The Marvel.com editorial team just crushing it. Yeah. And of course, if you haven't started the series yet, now is the perfect time. You can watch it all in one sitting if you like. So go stream all episodes of Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law now on Disney Plus, baby. Yeah, we've got more Marvel Studios stuff, of course, to talk about over on Disney Plus and beyond. But we want to remind y'all, we are still doing the Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder Blu-ray sweepstakes presented by us. Here at This Week in Marvel. The last day to enter is today, October 14th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. If you are listening to this after that time, 
Sorry, but you should have entered. Of course, you're entering for a chance to win a copy of Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder on Blu-ray. You go to marvel.com slash Thor sweepstakes. We'll, of course, once again, put the link in the description. That disc includes the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and digital copy with lots of bonus features. And, 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 you get a hammer pin with it we have 10 copies that we're going to give away this is for you guys who listen to the show this is super cool we we thank our friends at marvel studios but we want you to get this so tell your friends they have to listen to the episode find out how to enter don't give them any shortcuts you'll need to of course sign up for marvel insider which is free and it will cost you zero points to enter there was someone at new york comic-con this weekend who had over two million points on marvel Insider, and i was like Damn, I work at Marvel and I have 300,000 points. You are crushing it. But this is going to cost you zero points. you got to be a Marvel insider to do this. So go to marvel.com slash insider. You can sign up for that. You must be a resident of the United States and 18 years or older. Again, once again, that is marvel.com slash Thor sweepstakes. Do it. Do it. Do it. And then enjoy something for free. We get some more Marvel Studios news this week because there are some updates for the Multiverse Saga, in particular Phases 4 and 5 of the MCU. We've got new dates for a couple of movies. Marvel Studios' Blade is now coming out September 6, 2024. Marvel Studios' Fantastic Four is coming out February 14, 2025. Valentine's Day, y'all. Get ready. Take your sweetie. See some FF. Marvel Studios' so far untitled Deadpool movie is now coming out November 8th, 2024. And Marvel Studios' Avengers Secret Wars now will be in theaters May 1st, 2026. Get all the details over on Marvel.com. Also, you know, Ryan, I am in the thick of watching all of my good Halloween stuff. I'm very into a couple of Halloween series that are going on. And I watched Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night when it came out on Friday. And boy, oh boy, it's so great. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just had a blast watching it. It's such a great quick watch. It's under an hour. It's just really enjoyable. I really hope people check it out. It's out now only on Disney+. Plus. It's a perfect spoopy season watch. The whole just monster movie element of it being black and white and Jack being in there with Elsa Bloodstone and the whole fam. It's just such a fun movie. I am probably going to definitely watch it like three more times because it's just so up my alley. And now everyone's going to be a huge fan of Ted and everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, I love watching movies with my husband. A fun fact about him is he likes comic book stuff, um, but he's just like not in the world, right? So he's like, who's that guy? (laughs) And then I get to be like, well, actually, which is very fun. Very, very fun. We got to move on because, of course, Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever is less than a month away from being in theaters. If you have not already, please go get your tickets now. I looked at the screenings at the Alamo Drafthouse that I go to an hour after tickets were on sale. The main 7 p.m. screening was just about full, and that's the one I'll be at. So hope to see many people there and beyond. So make sure you got your tickets this week. The team at Marvel Studios released a ton of really great character posters featuring Shuri, Namor, Ramonda, Nakia, Okoye, Riri, Mbaku, Aneka, Ayo, Namora, Atuma, and Everett Ross. Just come and drop in all those posters. Plus, plus, there's a really moving new featurette sort of behind the scenes and talking about 
Chadwick Boseman's legacy. It introduces Namor, talks about the story, talks about the characters, and brings in a lot of the creatives behind the film, the actors, and, the, and Ryan Coogler, the director, and just... It's just, I, I watched and I was like, I just, how do I get more hyped for this movie? I don't know. Let's talk about Marvel's Iron Man VR coming to MetaQuest 2 this November. So on November 3rd, Marvel's Iron Man VR is going to be on MetaQuest 2, where you can tap into your inner superhero. You can step into the Iron Man armor. You guys might remember this game. It launched on PlayStation VR back in 2020, but now it's going to be on MetaQuest 2. If you have the meta version of the VR headset, it's brought to us courtesy of the talented teams at Camouflage and Endeavor One, as well as Sony Interactive and of course, us folks here at Marvel and the wonderful Marvel Games team. It's packed full of deep cut references for longtime Marvel fans. It's basically the closest you're going to get to hopping in an Iron Man armor and going for a ride. So go check it out. And you can learn more about it over on Marvel.com before it hits MetaQuest 2 in November. Yeah, 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 yeah. So soon. All right. Now I think it's time to get into New York Comic Con. Lots to talk about. We'll kick oh, things boy. off with our panel, which was the Captain America Cold War this week at Marvel Special Events panel. Lorraine and I and the team worked on this, putting it together. We had on wonderful guests Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, writers of Captain America Sentinel Liberty, Tochi Onyabuchi, who is writer of Captain America Symbol of Truth, Alana Smith who is the editor of all this and uh, obviously we cold war is in there we were talking about the upcoming crossover between them and sort of the build-up and we showed off a whole bunch of art we did a whole bunch of silly stuff we played a game called cap or crap which that was really fun it was very fun and very silly and i made a large mistake of asking a lot of children to answer and they all guessed crap and then i had to apologize <laughs> to their parents but it was really fun and you know we got to show off some great art which you can check out over on marvel.com but i think a couple of the things that are super exciting that are coming out of these two runs and going into cold war is for issue six uh, which is coming up in coming weeks for both series there are going to be some really big things happening. Bucky is, spoiler alert, going to be shooting through Captain America, Steve Rogers, at someone else. And in coming weeks, Bucky is going to have a new costume and title coming. So definitely keep your eyes on that book. Symbol of Truth, Sam Wilson has been facing off against Black Panther, which has been such a cool, interesting story. We're seeing more from White Wolf, who's a character who's just a great villain and and complicated character out of Wakanda. And Tochi Onyebuchi had like such a great breakdown of who White Wolf is. He went in deep on it. And then Colin and Jackson had a great moment where, where Steve and Bucky really share Sentinel of Liberty as a story. And they talk about how their friendship influences the way they write Steve and Bucky, which was so lovely. Mm -hmm. Plus, Ryan got to show off an episode of Marvel's Long Story Short about Steve and Sam, which I thought was just a delight. And it was really fun to watch it with a full audience, hearing everybody giggle. Marvel's Long Story Short is a uh, an animated series that we do on Marvel's YouTube and stuff. The won a Webby Award before I came on. So, you know, I'm now producing it and it's super fun. My favorite contribution to this episode was making sure that we ended it with Red Skull being sad and then getting hit in the face twice by both Captain America shields. And that's how you end the episode, because you should always really just dunk on Red Skull. Dunk on Nazis. That's the way to do it. Mm hmm. 
And of course, this is all leading to Captain America Cold War as the panel title would signal. Yeah. Um, uh, and Alana Smith gave us a really great intro into how these two stories are tying together and they're coming together for Cold War and culminating into a big event coming in April. And they also showed off some great new art. Yeah. So really cool stuff coming out of that. And that was just Thursday. We had also things happening at the booth. There's interviews. You can find all that stuff on Marvel.com. And then Friday, there was a Disney Parks panel. Yeah, they announced that M'Baku is going to be making his way to Avengers Campus at Disney California Adventure in celebration of Black Panther. Marvel Day at Sea is coming to the Disney Dream cruise ship, where one day during the multi-day cruise is going to be dedicated to all things Marvel, and you'll be able to meet a handful of superheroes that folks have come to know and love after meeting them perhaps at the parks. And also, last but not least, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, the attraction at Epcot at Walt Disney World, has a new holiday remix. It's kicking off the holiday season. There's a new track that's joining the coaster featuring a mashup of all sorts of holiday songs. It sounds super duper fun. So if you're headed over to Epcot, please tell us all about it. There was also the Marvel Comics Marvel Fanfare panel with C.B. Sobolski, where we got to see a really cool early look at an upcoming project for 2023. It's The Secret Project by writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Valeria Skeeti. We still don't know the name, really the, the major scope of it, but we will be getting more teases and stuff in the months ahead. But they showed off character designs and some really cool stuff that there's like text on these character designs that says what happens when the powers that be meet the natural order of things and then some really just gorgeous looking stuff that does not really give anything away you you have probably more questions now that you've seen these character <laughs> designs and these these things that Valerio and Jonathan are putting together you're like who are these people what's going on i can't wait for everybody to see more about this as we get further into 2023 then on Saturday, there was the Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur panel. They announced there will be indeed a second season of the highly anticipated animated series, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Their first season is kicking off on February 10th on the Disney Channel and then shortly thereafter on Disney+. And they revealed a clip from the theme song, Moon Girl Magic, written and produced by executive music producer Raphael Sadiq and performed by the star of the series, Diamond White who, of course, also voices Lunella Lafayette, a.k.a. Moon Girl. Can't wait to watch the series when it debuts in February. So when Catherine was running around the stage at Comic-Con on Sunday, the big screen is playing loops of different videos and different stuff. And so she's like constantly getting distracted by it and people and whatnot. But she's on the stage. When Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur video started playing, she immediately just like stopped and was like, what is this? And she was so excited by it. So it uh, it was really, really cool. Also very exciting. Three new titles were announced at the Marvel's Voices, The World Outside Your Window panel, including Bishop War College, written by Jay Holtham, who, of course, worked on Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye, the podcast, as well as art by Sean Damian Hill. And then there's going to be Silver Surfer Ghostlight, introducing Ghostlight as a character, written by John Jennings with art by Valentine Delandro. And, of course, last but not least, Bloodline, Daughter of Blade, written by Danny Laura with art by Karen S. Darbo. And that's going to be on sale in February. Super excited for all of those. 
I'm very excited for some Daughter of Blade as well. Yeah, and writer Danny Lore is on Marvel's pull list coming up. They came on to talk about the Bloodline stuff, but also some of the research that they've been doing around the character and around Blade with a cool Doctor Strange story. So check that out when we release that on Marvel's pull list. But there was also lots more stuff over on the Marvel Next Big Thing panel. They talked about Sins of Sinister and Dark Web stuff we're going to mention really quickly, but they showed off the publishing slate. You know, you see this, the cool slate that Marvel Studios shows off to say, here's what we got coming up in the next year, two years, whatever it is. Well, Marvel Comics showed off a really cool one, which showed Avengers Assemble coming November, then Dark Web starting in December, Sins of Sinister in January, Captain America Cold War in spring, Summer of Symbiotes, Summer 2023, and Fall of X in summer 2023. Very ominous, very intense. Those are a bit ways off, but we do get to hear a little bit about Avengers Assemble because this is the end of writer Jason Aaron's nearly five-year run on Avengers titles to an end. So he's going to be joined by a friggin' murderer's row of artists, Brian Hitch, <laughs> Javier Garon, Aaron Cooter, and they're going to sort of like tie all the threads together from Avengers, Avengers Forever, and Avengers of 1 million BC. It's multiverse spanning. It is huge. It is going to have like the most variants you'll ever variant in a variant of stories. It's going to be really cool. It's going to look gorgeous. It's probably going to destroy us emotionally. I can't wait for it. Then there's Dark Web, which, you know, we've been talking about a little bit, so we won't spend too much time on it. But this December, you've got Madeline Pryor, a.k.a. the Goblin Queen, a.k.a. clone of Jean Grey, teaming up with Ben Riley, a.k.a. clone of Peter Parker, a.k.a. Chasm. And they are just going ham on Spider-Man and the X-Men and a a crossover that really ties into stuff that's been going on for decades, but also is going to be really fun if you've not been reading either of those series so it's going to have like the x-men and venom is marvel and a bunch of series and characters tie into that so stay tuned for that over in the pure x-men side of things there's sins of sinister which is just sinister being a catty and being horrible and just a full-on jerk and this is a like universe melting X-Men event in which we get three main X-Men titles, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red and Legion of X becoming Immoral X-Men, Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants and Nightcrawlers respectively. So it's going to be cool. You're going to get the creative teams from those books, as well as a intro issue with Sins of Sinister number one. It'll wrap up with Sins of Sinister Dominion number one. You get all the details about all of those on Marvel.com. Yeah, that's a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the rest of the slate was Captain America Cold War. We talked about that already. Summer of Symbiotes. We're not giving out a ton of info right now, but I like that we wrote Sun's out, tongue's out, uh, which is so gross, so wonderful. Um, wow. <laughs> this kind of this is going to spin out of titles like Venom, Carnage, Red Goblin, a whole bunch of new symbiote stories. We're going to see the return of old faces, debut of new symbiote heroes, and sort of like shift some stuff for all the existing symbiotes. So get ready for that this summer as well. Fall of X. And the only text we have is the X-Men hoped Krakoa would last forever. Time to find out if they were right. Dun, dun, dun. Wah, wah, wah. 
And it all ended with a little tiny look at the Guardians of the Galaxy who are set out to rebuild their family. They basically released a teaser image that is the Guardians of the Galaxy logo, you know, that we see on all their costumes and it's broken into pieces. And so we're going to see what that means for the future. Also, one of my favorite panels, always Women of Marvel, had a really great panel on Sunday and they released just a boatload of news. <laughs> of course, the Women of Marvel anthology is going to return in March of 2023 with another wonderful one shot. We always love to see those. Rogue and Gambit number one is a new limited series announced, written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Carlos Gomez. And that's also coming in March. X-23 Deadly Regenesis number one is going to be a five issue limited series written by Erica Schultz and art by Edgar Salazar. And that's also coming in March of 2023. Also very excited for this. They had a video with Teeny Howard, who is going to be writing a new Betsy Braddock Captain Britain number one, which is coming in February, and Teeny introduced it. The series is penciled by Vasco Georgiev, and the cover is by Erica D'Urso. Super excited for that. Love some Betsy Braddock. Love some Teeny Howard. Plus, so much stuff coming for Marvel Unlimited, including X-Men Unlimited 56 by Jason Liu, which is going to come on October 10th. Marvel's Voices Nova 20, written by Terry Blas with art by Bruno Oliveira. That's coming also in October. Plus, I'm very excited for this mm -hmm. one. Um, a little biased. Love Unlimited Wolverine 19 is the ex-loves of Wolverine by Sean Kelly McKeever and Diogenes Neves. And that's going to be available in October going over the love life of Wolverine, which we all know is painful and long um, <laughs> and delightful in its own way. Uh, and then there's going to be more from Avengers Unlimited, plus Marvel's Unlimited Test Kitchen number three is coming. And there's going to be a special Test Kitchen Halloween special on October 31st. So keep checking out Marvel Unlimited. Of course, Infinity Comics are just the best. They're those wonderful vertical scrolling comics that you can only get on Marvel Unlimited. They were so lucky to have Ellie Pyle, who's not only on the podcast, but is also the lady behind the comic book that is digital for Marvel <laughs> Unlimited. She does a lot, a lot of work on those comics. So I'm so glad that she got to share all of that good stuff. Yeah. There was also a panel I did on Friday. I forgot to mention it real quick. It was about our licensed books that we do with various publishers, sort of like collections and new stuff. IDW does this line of artist editions that are some of the most gorgeous, coolest ways to experience comics. They take really high-res scans of the original art and and present them in, in new ways. So they're really cool. They have like a Kevin Nolan version coming and more. We saw that there's new stuff from Folio Society and Abrams and, and plenty more. You can get roundups on all that stuff on marvel.com, but some really cool books coming your way. Also... At New York Comic Con, we announced a collaboration with Viz Media on three new manga titles. The first one is Wolverine Snicked with an exclamation point, which always makes me happy. When you put an exclamation point in the title of something, it's good stuff. Story and art by Sutsomu Nihei. It is coming June of 2023, and it's going to have Wolverine in a desolate new dimension. Then there's Spider-Man Fake Red, story and art by Yusuke Asawa. That is also coming June of 2023. It's a There's a new Spider-Man in town, and he's got a lot to learn about being a hero. We'll find out more about that coming soon. And then Marvel Comics, a manga tribute, which is going to have a ton of amazing mangaka creators uh, like... 
just I, I'm not even going to run down the list. You can see it all on Marvel.com. That is coming in July of 2023. But allowing some of the most talented artists in the world who are doing manga, but they're slant on the Marvel Universe. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, those are all super fun. Also, Peach Momoko is going to be working on that, which is yeah. really fabulous. Um, Ken Niemura. I mean, yeah, there's like folks who yeah. are doing stuff for us, Sana Takeda, but stuff folks who have really never touched mainstream Marvel comics too. So it's cool. All right, next up, we've got Marvel and the minor league baseball team up is coming your way for Defenders of the Diamond, also announced at New York Comic Con. The minor league baseball, you know, MILB, as you might know it, and Marvel are teaming up to release team logos designed by Marvel's legendary illustrators for 96 teams participating in Marvel's Defenders of the Diamond, which is a special event and content series. And the logos feature the MILB teams with their unique brands and mascots that are going to be worn on the field for the first time in 2023. They debuted the first four logos for the AAA Buffalo Bisons, the El Paso Chihuahuas, which I am partial to, the AA Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and the Hartford Yard Goats. Obsessed. Just obsessed with the names. <laughs> um, obsessed with the art. Go check them out over on marvel.com. And also, they are going to be unveiling new logos throughout October and November until all 98 have been revealed. Go over to milb.com to see exclusive merchandise as it launches, including a new era Capco on the field games caps. That's going to be on Friday, November 18th. But keep your eye over there and then go check out what they've already revealed on marvel.com. All right. That is a lot of stuff that happened in and around New York Comic Con, but we want to make sure we touch on some more stuff. We've got Marvel Future Fight, which has hit a monumental milestone. It has surpassed 150 million global registered users since its launch in April of 2015. There's over 251 playable characters, 393 uniforms for players to enjoy in this mobile RPG. So to celebrate and commemorate this key milestone, there's a limited time event which will feature the game's inbox, the opportunity to choose a tier three character out of 20 available characters, including Captain America, Ghost Rider, Thor, Vision, Hulk, Black Panther, and the recently updated Venom. There's going to be a Symbiote Invasion 2 event quest. This stuff is happening in October. Some of it goes through the end of October. Some of it is happening right now, like the Symbiote Invasion is happening right now. Get up in that. You can get various items, including premium card chest, tier two mega advancement ticket, a four-star artifact, lots of cool stuff if you are playing Marvel Future Fight. So go check it out. Let's get into some podcasty goodness. Marvel's Voices obviously had a wonderful panel, but also the season finale of the podcast is out right now. You can go listen to the whole season if you haven't started it already. It's all about global influences on the Marvel Universe from the folks that work on the books. But in the last episode, Preeti Chipper, friend of the show here, YA author who we love so much, got to bring on Ibi Zaboy about bringing Okoye from Wakanda to Brooklyn in her book, Okoye to the People, who we actually, we had her on this very podcast, episode 543, back on March 25th. And they're talking about how E.B. Zaboy infused her work with her Haitian roots. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on the SiriusXM app, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go listen to the whole dang thing. It's there for you now. Yeah. 
Over on Marvel's Pull List, our podcast all about Marvel Comics, giving you previews and excitement and more. Our picks of the week, our favorite books were Immortal X-Men number 7, Captain Marvel number 42, and Namor number 1. Oh, that name book so good so good we also had a great guest this week because we are still in our spooky month of our reading clubs where we pick a book from marvel unlimited and we talk about it with a guest and want everybody to read it so this week we are talking about the dark hold it's a series a little mini event of seven issues we had on writer steve orlando who sort of was the showrunner for the book and he walked us through a lot of behind the scenes stuff but also the the first and the last issues of it the Alpha and the Omega, which has a lot of really important stuff that happened for Scarlet Witch in particular, which is great because Steve is writing the upcoming Scarlet Witch comic. So go listen to Marvel's Pull List on Sirius XM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And there's even more goodness for your ears because Marvel's Wastelanders Doom is still going strong. They are on Chapter 6, and it's the latest installment of the multi-part audio epic scripted podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders. Chapter 6 is titled Thunder Sandstorm, and it's now available to subscribers on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and the SiriusXM app. And in this episode, Doom... Valeria and their crew prepare to head to the negative zone to procure the cosmic cube, but upon arriving at the portal, they encounter an old foe standing in their way. Why don't we listen to a teaser of that right now? Was there a reason you intoxicated me, or was it simply for sport? Well, like I said, I don't remember too much about last night. But I do remember you talking something about a bullion. No, that can't be it. Maybe you were going on about sugar? Do not mock me. Sorry, I, I know it was some sort of cube. We want to help you. I do not need your help. But you do. We've saved you throughout this entire trip. Valeria is correct. Ah. Finding the Cosmic Cube has been a team effort. Now that Red Skull is dead, they will also be seeking it. Who all is they? I trust we will find out soon enough. No strategy will prepare us for what awaits. Chapters 1 through 6 are now available to subscribers on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. In addition to letting you hear episodes one week early, subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited will also unlock exclusive bonus content. So go do it. And of course, chapters 1 through 5 are available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Time for our interview this week. We have amazing guests. And look, we will probably get into more spoilers in these conversations because we have amazing guests. We have director Kat Coiro for Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and uh, showrunner and head writer Jessica Gao. They're coming on now. One thing we want to note is that these interviews were done a little while ago, so there may be some like, hey, they're excited for you to watch stuff, but still, they're really cool, very informative interviews, and also, yes, again, a little spoilery, but very, very cool. And also, shout out to Rachel. Rachel Page, who is doing these interviews for us with Kat and Jessica talking about the series. Let's take a little listen first to director Kat Coiro talk with our pal Rachel Page. 
Hello, Kat. How are you? Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. I am good. I'm excited to talk about all things She-Hulk. So diving right in, I would love to know what is your Marvel origin story? How and when did you first come across Marvel stories and characters? You know, as a child of the 80s, Marvel was a part of the zeitgeist. You couldn't go anywhere without encountering the comics and the imagery. But I have a very personal memory of the first time I saw the cover of a She-Hulk. And I remember in this kind of sea of male superheroes, there was this this large, proud, green woman. And I was so drawn to her, you know, and as someone who didn't necessarily read a lot of comic books, I wanted that comic book. And so, you know, being a part of the building of the She-Hulk world is absolutely the culmination of a childhood fantasy. You direct six episodes of the series full of great moments and characters. Do you have any favorite days on set that you can remember? Every day with Mark Ruffalo was a favorite day. The chemistry between him and Tatiana was so playful and the energy was so high. The Mystic Castle episode was just a pleasure. It was always there on the page. The writer, Melissa Hunter, of that episode just, to me, really encapsulated the tone of a workplace legal comedy. And between, you know, Donnie Blaze and Madison and Wong, it was hard to not crack up during that whole episode. And then of course, the Daredevil episode is my other favorite. And Charlie Cox is a dream. And it was fun to see him in a lighter medium than he's used to. The series breaks the fourth wall, which we've never seen before in the MCU. How does that affect the camera work and the way you tell the story visually? You know, it's it's interesting. We, we talked so much about how to incorporate the fourth wall breaks into the show. And one of the most important things was having Tatiana and the camera develop a relationship. So she's not just talking to a camera. She's talking to a friend. And that camera becomes a confidant. And then the other thing was we were never afraid of the audience being aware of the way the camera moved and really leaning into certain filmic conventions because at the end of the day, we know that she's living inside a TV show. Do you have a favorite fourth wall break? I'm very partial to the first moment that she realizes that there is somebody or something out there, which is in the origin pilot when she's building back Bruce's bar and she turns to the camera and then he turns and sees her and they turn back kind of, what was that? And it was such a magical moment that happened organically on set. And I always think of the fourth wall breaking as an extension of her superpowers. She got green, she got big, she got strong, and she gained an awareness that there's somebody else driving the car. I love the fourth wall break at the very end of episode four, where she's just been served. And she's like, oh, I hope there's a fun tag. And then like, there is a fun tag. Like, I I love that. Oh, I, I love that too. And that tag wasn't scripted. That tag came about after watching Wong and Madison and their ridiculous comedic genius. And we had about a half an hour left on the day. And I said, let's get those guys on a couch and throw a couple cameras on them and let them rip. And they sure did. They're hilarious duo. But now jumping back to episode one, like right away, you are breaking the typical Marvel mold with just about everything you're doing in the series. Do you remember any early conversations you had with either Kevin or the rest of the creative team about just like what you wanted to accomplish that was different than everything else? I think there was so much talk about what was different that part of my job was to keep the project within the world of the MCU, because we obviously are exploring themes and we're exploring tone and we're exploring, you know, very 
everyday comedic moments, but we still need it to feel like it's part of the MCU. And so I felt like that was part of my responsibility was, you know, to visually keep it cinematic in scope and to, you know, make sure that we always balance the comedy with other elements that are an intrinsic part of the MCU. I'd love to talk about Nikki for a sec because I'm very jealous she's not my best friend. She might be the best best friend we've seen in the MCU. What was it like carving out a space for her in the series and showing just a full rounded female friendship with Nikki and Jen? Well, you know, Jennifer is the straight man by nature of her desires. She does not want to be the center of attention. She wants to keep her life going exactly the way she has planned her life. And we really knew we wanted someone who would constantly challenge that, who would love the idea of being able to change into a Hulk. I had previously worked with Ginger Gonzaga on a little half hour sitcom and I brought her up to the group and it, you know, and it was funny cause they'd never heard of her. And I said, just wait. And she came in and she gave an audition. I'll remember she wore a bright yellow dress and she just had everybody rolling and it was undeniable. And it was really about letting her play and improvise and kind of, be a completely opposite energy from Jennifer Walters. It feels like Nikki's kind of Jen superhero a little bit because like Jen doesn't realize how much Nikki is actually doing for her. Was that intentional or is it just like something that happened as the show went on? Yeah, no, that was very intentional. You know, she wants to live vicariously through Jennifer's experience. And like, you know, if Nikki had been the one in the car accident and had gained these powers, she would be She-Hulk 24-7. She would be strutting around in the shortest dresses that She-Hulk could have tailored for her. And so there's that kind of wish fulfillment in Nikki, but then also she is a really good friend. And at the end of the day, she's there to protect Jennifer. And she ends up ironically, as you bring up, being the person who puts everything together and solves the problem without any superheroes beyond her brain. Did you have any input on Nikki's wardrobe? Because it is absolutely fabulous. Well, our costume designer, Anne Foley, is a genius. I've actually hired her for my next series, The Spiderwick Chronicles at Disney+. Plus. She can do anything. And we had initial conversations about wanting her to feel like a rule breaker and loud and like, you know, the kind of outfits you don't normally see in a law firm. We talked a lot about Legally Blonde and the way that Legally Blonde kind of injected these colors that we'd never seen into the legal setting. And then I just let Anne do her thing and she's just a genius. So it was pretty easy. Yeah, I wish I wish I could steal some of Nikki's clothes. They're just so great. I've seen a lot of behind the scenes footage too of Tatiana and just like these huge mocap suits and walking on platforms just to create like her huge height. What was it like managing that? Like, how did you work with her to create the physicality of the character considering like Tatiana herself like is a very small person and Jen is just so big. One of my favorite methods that we used was we had an actress who I'm sure you saw in the behind the scenes, Malia, who is a six foot seven woman. And we constructed a muscle suit for her that gave her the exact same proportions as She-Hulk. And so it was really great whenever we'd be in a situation, like how would She-Hulk walk down this hallway? What is her stride like? How would she sit in this chair? We would ask Malia to do it for us and Tatiana would watch and imitate her and it was such an amazing resource to have because you would see there were things that were very different like when a six foot seven woman walks next to little ginger gonzaga she goes a lot faster but 
there were other times where it was surprising how regular she was when she would sit in a chair. She kind of looked like any other woman and didn't look like she was six foot seven. So that was a tremendous resource that we drew upon all the time. What was it like incorporating so much of that mocap into this legal show? Like, were there ever days on set where you're just like, what am I doing? You know, we tried as much as possible to build the world around her to be as full and as rich as possible. Our amazing production designer, Elena Albanese, who I have also brought onto the Spiderwick Chronicles because she's a genius as well, built these incredibly realistic, grounded, intricate sets. And so as complex as it is to be wearing a mocap suit and, and as much as it can distance you from a regular experience, we tried to make the world as normal as possible so that Tatiana was just an actor in a strange gray suit acting out scenes. And my favorite character across the whole MCU is actually Hulk. So I was so excited. Hulk was, of course, in this and he's just hanging out at his bar on the beach. What was it like bringing in Mark Ruffalo into the fold? He's done this so many times before. Like, did he have Hulk pointers for you and the rest of the crew? The amazing thing about Mark is that he approaches everything with fresh eyes. And even though he's been playing the character for a decade, he understood that this was a new tone and a new genre. And so he really came in with such a deferential attitude and looking to us. And we all were like, but you're Mark Ruffalo and you know this character inside and out. But I think it's what makes him the legend that he is, is that he approaches everything as if it's the first time. And, you know, there's so many little nuances in his performance. And I think it's so fun also to peer into Hulk's more private side, seeing inside his closet and his pantry, I think is going to be a huge thrill for audiences. I love when it's just like, suddenly Hulk is in space. He's just like flying off to space somewhere. How much fun is it to just drop that in and like let everyone wonder what's happening? The first scene we filmed with Mark was actually him in the spaceship. And that's where you really feel the weirdness of creating a CGI world because it was, you know, Mark in the suit at a little fold-up table on a fold-out chair without even a proper camera shooting him. And I remember that was my first day with Mark Ruffalo. And I was like, what are we even doing here? But he's so engaged and he knows the drill and he made the scene alive, even in that circumstance, you know, in a big box with fluorescent lights. But the point of that was always to have people's jaw drop and tune into the next episode for sure. I mean, mine certainly did. And an underlying tone for the full season is simply just like how females process their emotion, especially rage. Jen makes a comment super early on about how like anger is nothing new to her. She's been dealing with this her whole life. How did you walk the fine line of exploring that idea while also carving out a new corner for her in the MCU? You know, I think it's an inherent part of who she is. She is a woman who walks through the world and has experienced things that every woman has experienced, being in a bar and being hit on by a guy who you don't want to talk to, but you feel you must be polite, walking in a dark alley and being afraid for your life. And so we just took these very relatable experiences that women have and put them onto this character who is able to defend herself and doesn't have to be polite if she doesn't want to, because she has brawn that, you know, most, most women don't have. And so it, it really felt like an organic part of the process. As we introduce her to the MCU, we introduce a fully formed female character who has experiences that we can all relate to. After I watched the finale, I actually went back and started watching the full season from the beginning again. And I was just like, 
very surprised and delighted to realize that you're laying a lot of the groundwork for that rage and emotion like very early on and then there's of course a payoff at the end what was it like setting all of those like easter eggs basically up for everyone to come to the realization like that's what's happening at the end you know it was very complex and the thing about the mcu that is so fascinating is you are not just making a standalone project in a vacuum you are making something that connects to an entire ecosystem of films and television shows and so even within our own show we were kind of exploring ideas that we knew would loop back around and that were tied to the meta nature of the show and it was always being conscious of what the main themes are and knowing that plots may change and you know episode order may change but we know what this show is about it's about a reluctant superhero who has to come to terms with the duality in her nature and how you can retain your sense of self, but you have to question what self means when you're perceived so differently by the outside world. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Big thanks again to Kat Coiro for spending some time talking with Rachel. And we also got to have Jessica Gao, the head writer for the series, talk to Rachel. And let's hear that right now. Hello, Jessica. Hello. It's so nice to meet you. It is wonderful to meet you, too. I am very excited to talk all things She-Hulk. So diving right in, what is your Marvel origin story? How and where did you first come across Marvel stories and characters? Well, my first job in high school was at the local comic book store. I mean, before then, as a child, I read a lot of manga. But, you know, when I started working at this comic book store, I started reading a lot more mainstream comics. I was always much more into the indie press stuff. I wasn't super into a lot of superhero comics, but I kind of read everything because, you know, I worked in a gigantic, a 6,000 square foot store alone. So, you know, I just spend my days going through all the bins and reading comics all day long. And then when I got into college, I organized comic book conventions in college. So I always thought that I would probably you know, end up working in comics in some capacity and, you know, took a roundabout way to get to that point, but I got there and uh, She-Hulk was actually the fourth project I pitched to Marvel. I'd been trying to get my foot in the door for years because for years, all I wanted to do was write a Marvel movie. This was, you know, when Marvel was only making movies, that was my goal. So write a Marvel movie and She-Hulk was always my favorite character from Marvel comics. So I pitched on three movies before this. I pitched on, I feel like you're going to ask me which, so I will just preemptively tell you. The first one I ever pitched on was Black Widow. And I actually incorporated, I had She-Hulk in my Black Widow pitch. And then they were like, kind of feels like you're trying to pitch a She-Hulk movie with Black Widow in it. And I was like, guilty. And so big shocker, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't hire me for that. But I did say my parting shot was when I didn't get the job, I said, Just so you know, She-Hulk is my favorite character, obviously. If you ever do a She-Hulk movie, you have to call me. And if you don't call me, I will come back and I will burn the studio to the ground. (laughs) Then the second job I went in for was to rewrite Captain Marvel and didn't get that, but still left and said, quick reminder, She-Hulk burned you to the ground, you know, just so we're clear, (laughs) it's still on the table. And then the third time was for Shang-Chi and... When I didn't get that job, I almost lost faith. But, uh, you know, I still left with my usual, don't forget, She-Hulk, burn you to the ground. And finally, D23, Kevin announces that not only are they doing a She-Hulk 
project, but it's going to be a TV series, which, you know, my entire background is TV comedies. So I was like, oh my God, they didn't call me. And they, I was very clear about what would happen. So I guess I'm going to have to go down there. Two days later, they called me and said, do you want to pitch on She-Hulk? And I said, yes, of course. Right. And the rest is history. Yes. And the rest is history. Arsonless history. <laughs> I, I love you. I'm going to tell that story to all my coworkers. <laughs> and now Jen breaks the fourth wall in the series, which is not something we've seen before in the MCU. Was that always the plan for the show? Or did that kind of come up organically as you started going through it? Yes, because it was the John Byrne run that made me fall in love with She-Hulk in the first place. And to me, that is the most iconic run of She-Hulk. And the most memorable thing about that run is the fourth wall breaks and um, and how meta it was and how she would argue with Byrne and she would argue with Renee, the editor, and she would make fun of comic book tropes. She was aware that she was in comics. All of that to me is like quintessential She-Hulk. I just feel that fourth wall breaking is foundational to who this character is. So there was no universe where in all the, you know, multiverse, there is not a single universe where I would have made a She-Hulk show without a fourth wall break. Do you have a favorite fourth wall break? Can be from anywhere in the series. Oh, man. Um, oh, you know what? My fav- my absolute favorite fourth wall break is when she and Nikki and Pug are sitting at the bar and Pug joins Nikki in the booth. And then you just see Jen's little head pop into frame and she goes connecting the A and B stories. Nice. I love that. (laughs) And now there are so many characters in the series. How much fun did you have writing them and just populating the world with just like these super deep dive Marvel characters? Like who would have expected Frogman and Elite Frog to show up? We had so much fun. I mean, we had a fantastic writing staff and we just had one of the most fun writers room ever. I mean, people around the studio would tell us that every time they walked past our room in the hallway, they would just hear cackling peals of laughter. And they're like, man, those people are always laughing. What is going on in there? You know, it, it, it felt like cheating because every day we just come into work and we were getting paid to make each other laugh, you know? And the room, I was very careful about populating the staff not completely with Marvel like super nerds because I wanted there to be a good balance. So we had like 50% Marvel super fans who are like deep dive nerds. I mean, including a couple of Marvel comics writers. And then we had the other half of the room were like, you know, TV writers, sitcom writers who didn't really have a relationship with comic books and like only had like a casual relationship with Marvel movies. And it struck this nice balance where we didn't veer too far into getting inside baseball, but also we did have kind of this stopgap of these Marvel fans who were able to like kind of help us be the barometer for like what was going to make fans riot and what was going to make fans happy. So part of the fun was mining all the movies and all the comics and like picking what characters that we wanted to play around with. And because we have these Marvel fans in the room, like a lot of people was their opportunity to say, you know, this is a character that I've always loved that is so like B or C or even D list that would never otherwise make it into the MCU. And, you know, that was kind of our bread and butter. Like we loved pulling those kind of characters out and putting them in the show. Was there any character you pitched that someone like Kevin was like, that is too far. Like, don't go that route. (laughs) No, I mean, the only times we got no's were either because there was a rights issue with the character from the comics or they already had plans for this character. And so we couldn't use them. 
what was it like when you learned you could use daredevil in the show oh my god i mean because we dared not even dream that that would be even be a possibility so like we never even thought to say it out loud or to even think it and the word came down from marvel mountain that it was a possibility that he he was back we could use him and that it was going to be charlie cox and we just, we were beside ourselves. We couldn't believe it. Like for weeks, we were like, this isn't real. They're going to pull the rug out from under us. This is some cruel joke that they're playing on us. Or surely somebody made a mistake and this actually can't happen. <laughs> we could talk forever about Charlie Cox, but I will save that for another day. Um, <laughs> going back to that first episode, right away, you are breaking the typical Marvel mold that we've seen many times before and just doing something completely different. Do you remember any of those super early conversations you had with the creative team just kind of carving out this new space in the MCU for She-Hulk? Yeah, well, you know, from the start, I had a very clear sense of what type of show I wanted to be and also the tone of the show. Because coming from writing TV comedies, like, I knew the exact kind of comedic tone that I wanted for the show. And, you know, my original pitch, I, I recently actually went back and looked at my original pitch document and, like, foundationally, it is the show that you are watching. I mean, there's a lot of, like, plot and details and a couple of extra like side characters that kind of fell by the wayside as we started writing the series. But like Abomination Emil Blonsky was always in it. It was, you know, Jen was always going to be his lawyer. There was the hope that Bruce was going to be around and that we would always have a flashback episode that showed you her origin story where Bruce like took her out to a remote place. Originally it was, he took her out to the desert because I just, I love hanging out at Joshua Tree. So I wrote that in that, you know, Bruce would take her out to the desert and just teach her in the vast openness of the Southern California desert. He would teach her how to be a Hulk. Now, I'd love to talk about Nikki for a sec because I love her. I wish she was my best friend. Oh, and great. I realized that like Nikki is kind of Jen's superhero in a way because like yes. Nikki is doing so much behind the scenes for Jen. Yes. Can you talk about building that relationship for the two of them? Because it's just like so perfect and pure and I'm jealous. I don't have a Nikki. I love Nikki so much and I love Ginger Gonzaga so much. I mean, Ginger is pure joy and she's just a creature of joy and also such a gifted improviser like you know you could be if you wanted to be a very lazy writer and if you just wrote a so-so scene for her you knew you could be very confident that she would amp it up she would improv a bunch of stuff and make it the funniest scene ever and it just makes my job as a writer so much easier and their dynamic is so wonderful because you know Nikki like you said like Nikki is a ride or die friend that you want, you know, she is a champion for you. She doesn't care if you murdered someone or if you just need help with like, you know, a marketing campaign, she will be there for you and she'll go the extra mile. You know, she'll push past your comfort zone in order to help you. And she's such a great balance for Jen, who's this like pretty strict rule follower who kind of loves doing things by the book and likes to be over-prepared and, and over-deliver. And Nikki is like, impulsive and joyful and kind of just goes with her instincts, you know, and she trusts her gut and Jen needs a little of that. And so they kind of like rein each other in and there's this wonderful balance between the two. And Tatiana and Ginger had such fantastic chemistry, as you saw, you know, like they really felt like friends instantly, like they just clicked in and because they both felt very, very protective of this portrayal of female friendship, you know, it was so important to both of them that it felt real, that we were showing this very like layered and 
complex friendship between those women and that we didn't fall into these like incredibly tired tropes of like women being catty with each other or just being superficial friends who only went shopping together, you know, like they were real. They would just, you know, it just felt so good and comfortable and familiar just to see the two of them sitting on a couch and not really looking at each other and on their phones, but talking to each other. Cause that really is what friendship is. Did they come back to you at any point with like, Ooh, I think our characters should like do this or like change. How did they influence after they were cast? I mean, after they were cast, I really wanted to start tailoring things to them and like really, you know, set them up to play up their strengths. And they both had a lot of strengths. So that was, that made the task very easy. And they both really had very, very thoughtful ideas and things to say about their characters and also about their dynamic with each other. You know, like they really had this very innate and intuitive understanding of why these two women were friends, how they found each other and why they continue to work. And also like, what would be the types of things that they would disagree on? And would there be anything that could possibly break them apart too? And now there's an underlying tone for the full season. And it's simply like just how females process their emotions, especially rage. Jen makes that comment very early on about how like anger's nothing new to her. What was it like exploring this idea while also like making it Marvel, but also like this is an exploration of females and their emotions? Well, I mean, thankfully we had a lot of women in a lot of creative positions on the show. We had an incredibly heavy, like female heavy writing staff. And I think that it's so important to have the representation behind the camera match the representation in front of the camera, because there's just so many life experiences, these lived in experiences and nuances that you can't fake and you can't replicate if you really just don't understand it. And so having all these women who all have different life experiences and perspectives and points of view, really helped fill out this very well-rounded cast and this world. Because as we start mining each other's lives for like, not only like personal experiences and stories, but also just like issues and thoughts and feelings about things in general and about womanhood, you start seeing like a lot of patterns and like common themes too. And those were the things that we really wanted to infuse in the show so that women who watch the show like really felt seen and really felt represented. I definitely do. I love it. I watched the finale and then I went back and immediately started watching the first episode again. And I realized like how much of this you are actually like setting up in the beginning. And it's just like a huge, perfect payoff in the end. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that. I love in episode two that just like Bruce is in space. Can you talk <laughs> about just kind of like dropping that in like Bruce is in space and then like not explaining it whatsoever? <laughs> yes, we don't explain it because it's She-Hulk's show, you know, like this is just why Bruce had to leave and is not part of the show for several episodes. You know, I just think of it as in Thor Ragnarok, you saw that Hulk would had been in space for a couple of years and we only got to see a little sliver of what he was up to. But I mean, God knows what he'd been doing for those two years, you know, up until Thor found him. So this just feels like, oh, well, Bruce is going to have to go and handle some stuff that happened during those two years on Sakaar. How excited are you for fans to like literally tear apart that entire scene and theorize everything <laughs> about it? I'm excited for fans to just tear apart everything. But what I'm most excited for from the fans is to see what they turn into memes. <laughs>
do you have like a specific meme in mind you already want to see? Cause I can like plant that on the internet and make <laughs> them think it was their idea. <laughs> well, no, that's the beauty of it. Cause I'm, I'm just dying to know like what they're going to respond to. Cause you just never know, you know, <laughs> what are you most excited for fans to see? Well, I'm very excited for fans to see the tag in the end of the pilot because, I mean, we're truly answering the most important question of our generation. And I'm just so thrilled that we get to answer that question. And I'm so thrilled that Jen can say the line that she does at the end of that scene. I am incredibly proud of you for getting that even in the show. <laughs> All I'll say is if that's my legacy, I will leave this earth happy. <laughs> Well, all right. Perfect. Thank you so much for this. I have so many more questions. So hopefully there's a part two for this. <laughs> it was so great talking to you. Same, same. Thank you so much. I'm a huge Jessica Gao fan. So excited to have her come and talk with us and talk with Rachel. If you guys watch Rick and Morty, she wrote the Emmy award winning episode <laughs> Pickle Rick. She is a mad genius. So thrilled to have them both on the show. Of course, you can watch all nine episodes of Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. It is the greatest show. I love it so much. I am actually like having deep sadness that it is not coming out every week now. <laughs> um, so I, I will need She-Hulk back in my life immediately, please. All right, we got to move things along because we're going to get into community section. First up, though, we want to make sure you know next week our guest on the show will be Lanny Smith, former NBA player, but most importantly for us, founder of Actively Black, this clothing brand. And he's also doing some really great stuff with the community and Black Panther. We're going to get into that, talk about just being a fan of Marvel and, and so much more. He's rad. I dig him. I can't wait for y'all to hear that conversation. Conversation. So with that in mind, we had a great question of the week. Lorraine suggested we ask y'all, what is your favorite moment from Marvel Studios' Black Panther, the first movie? Because we do have a lot of conversation around that in next week's episode. And um, as we're getting hyped for the new film, I think everybody's probably going to rewatch the first one a couple of mm -hmm. times. <sighs> There's so much, though. There's so much. I think that moment with Michael B. Jordan, who plays Eric Killmonger, you know, sitting out on the rocks talking about bury me in the ocean with my ancestors Oof. that jumped. I mean, it's such Oof. it's just beautiful writing and it's yeah. so impactful and really meaningful. Plus, just, of course, in that film, Chadwick Boseman is unbelievable. The moments with Nakia in the beginning when he mm -hmm. turns in like he can't talk. And he just becomes a mess when he's like this stoic, <laughs> powerful man all the time. And then he's yeah. like -da <laughs> around Nakia. It's just like so charming and fun. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how well they achieve the fact of like making a king relatable, a king, mm -hmm. superhero, genius, everything, but also super relatable. It, it's it's masterful work. I think I, I would go with probably my favorite stuff might be the mix of the flashbacks, which I think are so cool of like setting up the like the sort of history of some of the characters and also mm. the Jalia, the plane that is sort of between life and death where the Black Panther can go and mm. talk to the ancestors, it's sort of the ancestral plane. I think that is so beautifully rendered. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's so emotional, yeah. those scenes. Um, there's so much there that I really, really dug. 
Those are some of our favorite moments, but we want to hear from you. You can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com, or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ThisWeekInMarvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show. Yeah, like we're going to do right now, suckers. Let's do it. So our question of the week last week, you guessed it. What was your favorite thing out of New York Comic Con? So let's get into it. First up, we have Wanda Constantine at Wanda Constantini 7, who said the Scarlet Witch inside look and the announcement of the Rogue and Gambit series. Oh, and I'm really excited for the secret project by Hickman and Valeria Skeedy. All right, next up, we have got... Cardner Cecil at Cardner Cecil, who says, I was not there, but I have seen videos and the new Madame Tussauds Loki figure is my favorite thing. So beautiful. I hope I can see it one day. I already saw Conrad's figure at Tussauds in London. I have to say, those are pretty darn incredible. There, there was one for Black Panther and one for Loki, and Loki looks very much like a certain person who portrays that character. <laughs> it's wild how realistic those figures look it's it's bananas i was like up close and the detail is is stunning so yeah yeah very cool and if you get to Times square in new york city you can come see it in person at madame tussauds on 42nd street we've got another one which says being able to pose with others in my first cosplay bucky barnes captain america yesterday hearing one kid call me quote the real captain america made me feel proud that it all came out so well especially the shield oh it's great Aww. Minor League Baseball at the official MILB said a successful MILB X Marvel rollout. And they mm-hmm. included a picture of the notorious goat that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> Looked like a lot of fun. Minor League Baseball has the best mascots. So great. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with those banana guys. The Savannah Bananas. That's what it is. <laughs> We've got an email from JC, and JC says, Hope y'all are doing well. There's so much to be excited about from New York Comic Con, but I'm most excited for all the upcoming Marvel comic storylines announced at the next big thing panel, specifically Dark Web and Sins of Sinister. It's going to be epic to see Spider-Man and the X-Men team up, and I know the fights and reveals are sure to be incredible. And then Mr. Sinister pulling off an Age of Apocalypse scenario also sounds awesome, especially with all the new series coming out during the story arc, especially Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. Can't wait to get my hands on all this epic storytelling. Keep on being awesome. Thanks, JC. All right, next up, we got an email from Joe Hoffman who said, Dear Ryan, Lorraine, and James, I hope you all are doing well and that those of you who got to go to New York Comic Con had a great time. Thanks for reading my email on the show. I hope you take me up on my offer to set up your government for the People's Republic of This Week in Marvel. I think it would be fun to help you all draft the Constitution and the Declaration of Equal Rights for all sentient beings in the Marvel Universe as equally is the only way to roll, in my opinion. And Ryan, I also want to thank you for your timely interview of Blessing Adioye Jr. from Kind of Funny because it couldn't have been aired at a better time. Uh, he goes on to talk a little bit more in in depth about all of those things, but continue on. So thanks a zillion to Ryan and Blessing for helping reassure me that I'm heading in the right directions with my efforts to promote my musical saga. And in gratitude, I even reduced my rate for helping you all set up the government of the People's Republic of This Week in Marvel. And to answer the question of the week, I'm most excited about Captain America Cold War. I've had both Captain America Sentinel of Liberty and Captain America Symbol of Truth on my pull list ever since the series began, and I cannot wait to hear how the saga of Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, and friends unfolds. I'm sure it will be a wild ride, and I'm already fastening up my safety belt. Um, 
Thanks so much, Joe. We'll, we will definitely consider you to set up our government. You can be the Alexander Hamilton of the People's Republic. Great. Good job, Joe. <laughs> Let's keep it rolling. We've got an email from Rodrigo who says, I've been listening to the show for a few months now, and I love listening to the energy you both bring while talking about all things Marvel. I didn't go to New York Comic Con. I live in Mexico City, and I've never attended a con outside my country. Hopefully, one day I'll be able to. But I always follow the news, and the most exciting thing for me is always the comic book news, with MCU close second. And this con was no exception with the more detailed announcement of the Sins of Sinister event. I've been a comic book fan since the late 80s, and my first love were the X-Men. I've been enjoying the Krakoan era so much, and the Axe crossover has been awesome. So, more from the mind of Kieran Gillen with an Age of Apocalypse feeling? Yes, please. Can't wait to see what Kieran, along with the rest of the X office, has prepared for us. Also, the new Bishop miniseries looks very intriguing, and the tease of the Fall of X, oh my, 2023 is going to be great. Well, maybe not for the mutants. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Hope you had a wonderful con and a great week. Rodrigo! That was a wonderful email. Thank you for sending that. Oh, and he followed up. Um, he Wait. said, hi, it's me again. <laughs> I should have waited for the whole con <laughs> to be over because you've announced three new X-Men books. Can't wait to read Rogue and Gambit, Betsy Braddock, Captain Breton, and X-23 Deadly Regenesis. Love all those characters and love those stories. Now that is all. Thanks for reading. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Rodrigo, for both emails. Wonderful stuff. We get an email from Henrik Hansen who says, Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night, Fandabaduzi. I don't know what that means. What does that mean, Fandabaduzi? I'm not actually British, but I live here, and sometimes only a late 80s catchphrase will do. So that's some late 80s Britishism. Oh, oh. it's from the Crankies, apparently. <laughs> it's a catchphrase of a Scottish husband and wife comedy duo. Wow. We've learned something today. We've Thank learned you, something Henrik. today. Thank you for that, Henrik. Uh, anyway, Henrik continues. I love the look of Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night, the classic horror aesthetic, the loving cinema dots in the upper right corner of the screen to signal the film reel changes, the atmospheric music, and Ted. Ted was magnificent. I was thrilled and delighted throughout. The MCU continues to make good on its promises and to deliver tales to astonish. Make mine Marvel. Thanks, Henrik. Oh, all right. Next up, we got an email from Mihika who says, Dear Ryan and Lorraine and the Twim team, it was surreal to hear you read my emails last week and thank you for picking me to answer this week's question of the week, September 30th, when I got to go to a convention, especially if it was a huge one. First of all, I would make sure not to get lost. I'm really good at that. But after that, my top priority will be to get all of the exclusive merchandise, every booth, every panel. I want it all. Enjoyed the podcast this week. As always, always a delight to discuss Marvel Studios. Studios, Thor, Love and Thunder. It was so interesting to hear about what it takes to make a movie as epic as Marvel Studios, Thor, Love and Thunder. Thanks for a great episode. Lots of love. Ah, thank you. And I wanted to give a special shout out to one of our listeners who I met in person, Rashawn Dennis, who came to the convention, actually was listening to us, listening to our episode, getting hyped for New York Comic Con and decided last minute to come to the con and was able to attend and enjoy it. And so I just talking to Rashawn and, and how much excitement there was. It reminds me, continues to remind me, and will forever remind me that the things that we get to do, that you and I get to do, Lorraine, affect people. 
and it's cool and our excitement mm -hmm. for this stuff is because it is genuine it makes people happy and so that in turn makes us really freaking happy so thank you Rashawn for continuing to remind me we get to do cool stuff and we get to have fun and so yeah really neat yeah. That is a wrap for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Man Thing. It's not a lady thing, it's a man thing. <laughs> a man, a thing, it's a man thing. Man thing today, goodbye. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Don't forget, She-Hulk, burn you to the ground.